Welcome to Wealth Well Done. Together, we'll cover a wide range of important topics surrounding money and the impact it has on our lives. From the sophisticated and highly valuable planning techniques of the ultra-wealthy to the commonly underutilized biblical teachings. Together, we'll work to improve our relationship with money and our effectiveness in stewarding it well. Here's your host, Eric Scoville. Hi, and welcome to the very first episode of the Wealth Well Done podcast, where we'll dissect money with some of the industry's leading experts to share tactical, practical, and spiritual advice to help you do your wealth well done. I'm your host, Eric Scoville. Let's jump in. So on this show, we have three pillars that we're going to frame everything through. These are going to be tactical, practical, and spiritual. When you think tactical, think strategies for wealth acquisition and preservation. When you think practical, we're talking about more of the qualitative aspects of money that require intentionality, so money's an enhancement. And on spiritual, we're thinking the God-focused, scriptural-based understanding of finances. I honestly think that those three pillars are in reverse order, but with all of the concerns around someone leading with spiritual side of money, I've decided to build some credibility first, and then we'll, we'll work our way into the true importance of the spiritual understanding of finances. So we have a ton of info to cover here. These, uh, the first three ep- episodes are really going to be a, a preview for each of the pillars here. And then what we'll do after that is we're going to start bringing in industry experts to, to share some of their stories, some of their advice they have, some of the special tactics that they use, as well as some of their stories, some failures, some successes, and to just help us understand how to grab more wisdom to apply to uh, what we're trying to do on our own finances. I myself am a financial planner. Um, before you form your own opinion on that, there are there are some caveats to that. Not all financial planners are created equal. Um, I was a contractor who followed the call of God to take that proverbial leap of faith into a career that I thought I wanted nothing to do with. And here we are now. I do financial planning to a lot of high net worth clients. Um, I also have a cryptocurrency hedge fund. And I also am in a partnership with a group that syndicates for alternative assets such as real estate, um, oil and gas, and as well as venture capital type opportunities. So a lot more geared to the alternative assets and other ways to look at money besides just the standard stock market approach. One very important disclaimer, while some guests may be licensed tax professionals or attorneys, uh, myself and many of our guests are not. And all of these strategies and suggestions are meant to, um, that are given are meant to be generic and informative only. They're not advice to any specific listener. So what we encourage you to do is to take the advice in, bring this to your, uh, your financial team and, and work together to come up with a plan that makes the most sense for you. And disclaimer number two. Recording myself is not actually my favorite thing to do. Uh, you ask anyone who's done this, and I'm guessing they'll say the same thing, that it's, it's a little bit awkward and uncomfortable in the beginning. I have promised my production team that I'd try to be interesting, but if I get a little bit monotone, I apologize. Just hang with me. It'll definitely get easier as we get into interviews uh, in future episodes. So I'll, I'll do my best for you, though. All right, we're going to get right into the meat of it here for the rest of this episode here, just going over a brief overview of each of the main topics that we're going to cover in the tactical uh, pillar of doing your wealth well done. And this, these are going to be mainly focused to mid and high level strategies. Um, for These are going to be for people who either already of a, um, of a high net worth or of a high income um, or working their way there. And there's nothing against anyone else. I don't have an ounce of judgment there. 
Um, but that's where these strategies are going to be focused. So if you are earlier in your financial journey or trying to, trying to, um, figure out how to build up your net worth or how to build up your income, Dave Ramsey is phenomenal. He has an unbelievable amount of research or, uh, excuse me, an unbelievable amount of content, uh, out there that you can download to help you understand how to really get the building blocks of finances right. And, and Dave, you know, there's, there's a lot of criticisms for Dave out there too, but he, he has, um, he has a, a wonderful wealth of information on how to get your cash flow right, how to build up your assets, begin saving, understand the market better, understand how to make smart financial decisions. And then what we're going to be doing are things that are really geared to a more specific audience that are going to be of a, of a more affluent status. So typically, when clients come to me, one of the biggest things that they want to focus on is taxes. So let's start there. I do not believe that um, that we shouldn't pay taxes. And this is something that's often highly criticized of the ultra ultra high net worth that they don't pay anything in taxes and therefore they're robbing the rest of the, the country of all of its income. Um, I would say that's probably grossly overstated most times in the media, but I, I, don't, I don't believe that we shouldn't pay taxes at all. And I have a couple of biblical references to that. Um, Matthew twenty two twenty one, when he said, then render to Caesar, when this is Jesus talking, he says, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And Romans 13, 6, Paul says, this is why this is also why you pay taxes for the authorities are God, God's servants who give their full time to governing. When you look at how, how I approach taxes, um, I use the roads that our government builds. I am protected by the military that our government provides. I drink the water. Like I do so many things. I use the services that the government provides. And so I do believe that there is a um, that there is a reason that we should be paying taxes. So I want to make that very clear. I'm not saying that we shouldn't pay taxes, but what I am saying is there are ways that you can you can approach taxes differently to try to um, to try to improve the the amount of the amount money that you retain that from what you make. The compound impact of reducing your income tax is it is massive on what that can do for someone, the growth of someone's net worth. If they figure out how to reduce their income tax rate, that's where we'll focus most in this show. Um, but that's not the only thing. You can also look at the blended tax rate, which talks about property tax, sales tax, fuel, hospitality, um, other taxes that, that you would apply to someone's life. And tax planning, uh, honestly, it goes a lot further than the the standard, you know, tax planning 101, as I call it, which is looking at how do we you know, put more money into your 401k, into your IRA. If you're a business owner, you, you're buying a new truck that's over 6,000 pounds or, you know, using a SEP IRA. Those are kind of the standard things that, uh, that a CPA uses. And, and there's nothing wrong with those strategies, but there are there are CPAs out there who will take it to a higher level. And that's often where we're trying to focus with our clients. Um, as you're trying to choose your CPA, most most clients come to me um, with the assumption that they need a new CPA. And then we have meetings with their CPA. And then we figure out that their CPA actually is qualified to do the work. They just need to probably be a little bit more proactive as a client. Um, if you're interviewing someone, you want to be aware of someone who just says they're a great tax planner and, and ask them to to help you uh, understand what type of strategies they're actually going to uh, employ for you or um, or what type of stuff they do for other clients. That way you can see where you could grow into if you were to change the way you approach um, taxes. Because in, in general, the, the people who pay the most taxes are the W-2 employees. And so what we want to do is we want to think differently, approach, uh, approach taxes differently. Tom Wheelwright, who is the, um, the famous CPA, of Robert Kiyosaki, who's famous for the books Rich Dad, Poor Dad, 
um, he he goes over this whole idea of partnering with the IRS, and he, you know, the tax code, you know, shows you know very little bit about how much you know how much money is owed in taxes, and says that all income is taxable, but then. It has all of these, the rest of the pages of the tax code that show you different ways that you can partner with the IRS to reduce taxes or stop paying taxes. And so that's where we want to do it. So we want to think differently. Sometimes those are even investments. So you think real estate, real estate is an investment that would allow you to have the value of it appreciate, have it cash flow while it creates depreciation to offset your taxes. Um, energy, there are some energy investments that can do a very similar thing there. It's going to be real important to understand for you uh, the difference between active income and passive income. So we'll spend some time on that, helping you understand the difference of those and and why that's so important. Um, Real estate professional status, if if you own property already, that's something that we'll spend a lot of time on as well, because real estate is one of the most advantageous ways to, to partner with the government and reduce your income while using investments to actually grow your net worth. So that's a high-level overview of the type of stuff that we'll be looking at when we talk about taxes uh, and as we bring CPAs on here to help share their strategies. The next thing we want to go into is investments. And, you know, of the things that people come to me for, it's typically one, two. It's taxes and then investments. Uh, Most people kind of understand that the standard investment model of being in the S&P 500 is not how... um, It's not how the the ultra-wealthy invest. They're looking for other options inside of their... And so that's something we want to dig into next year. Uh, first thing to understand is what is a financial asset? And so a financial asset is really, you're, you're talking about a claim on future cash flows. It's important that you understand what you're actually buying when you buy any type of investment. Um, we will have, um, we'll have some people come on who can talk to us about the macroeconomic state. Um, obviously that's ever changing. So, so, but we will we'll bring that in here as, as times get really important. Um, and in, in the and in, in what whatever's going on in the world that that we will look to have some people come in here who can who can share their insight that'd be helpful to you. Um, a big thing when you start getting into investments is understanding risk, and a lot of the stuff that we're going to be talking about is going to be for accredited investors. An accredited investor is someone who has either a million dollar net worth excluding their primary residence, or they've got either two hundred thousand dollars income the last two years as an individual, or three hundred thousand dollars as a couple, uh, as a married, finally joined a couple, with the expectation that that uh, income is going to uh, proceed into the future. And so, when you when you get into risk, um, you need to understand when we're talking particularly about the stock market, the difference between risk and volatility. They're often used interchangeably. Um, as I look at risk, I'm thinking about the the chance that I lose lose all my money. Um, if you have an investment into a stock here, so we're here in, in Illinois, which was Caterpillar country. And so a lot of people around here have, um, have a lot of stock in Caterpillar. And if Caterpillar lost all of its, if Caterpillar went out of business, which, you know, a while back, it was a $55 billion company. So if Caterpillar went out of business, that'd be incredibly unlikely. But if it did, the people who were, who held that stock would probably plan on losing their money. There's other nuances inside bankruptcy court and how that works out. But for the sake of this, we'll just say that they would plan on losing their money. The chance of one large company having that happen is very rare. The chance of if you own the so if you own the S and P five hundred on an ETF or a mutual fund, you own the five hundred. You know, not completely, but for the most part, the largest uh, publicly traded companies in the country. And in order for you to lose your money in the S and P five hundred, you would need the 
500 largest companies to then go out of business. And if you think about that, what that would mean from the um, all of the big banks going out of business, all of the large corporations going out of business that employ millions upon millions of people and the smaller companies that feed into them. Uh, if that happens, the only way I can describe that is basically that Jesus has come back and therefore uh, money doesn't mean anything at that point anyway. So if you were to have an absolute loss inside the S&P 500, that probably means that wherever you had your money invested, you know, has probably you know, been completely devastated as well. So understanding risk uh, is important, but well, most people think that the stock market is incredibly risky. What you really need to do is, is understand volatility. Volatility is the movement of, of the price up and down. So what was worth $100 today and three months from now is worth $60, that's incredible volatility inside of it, but, but you still own the underlying assets. And so that's important that you understand what you're buying when you do an investment. Um, a lot of what I do inside the investments, we, we look into buckets. We look at uh, assessing risk, like how much um, how much do I need in the next, you know, pick a time frame, whether it's the three to six months or whether this is money that I need over the next five years. Uh, so timeline is really important uh, in that the liquidity, um, liquidity is often probably overvalued, but the amount of liquidity that I would need um, to access, you know, when you're talking about a they're talking about obviously, you know, for people in this, you know, hopefully, if you're listening to this, you already have uh, an emergency fund set up. And we're really talking about what type of liquidity do you need in your investments moving forward over a over a multi year basis. Um, and then, what, and from the bucket standpoint, which which of my investments are geared toward growth, and which of my investments are geared toward preservation? And and you shouldn't have one investment that's trying to fill all of those different uh, characteristics for you. The uh, <clears throat> The other thing that we'll we'll get into in this um, from a risk standpoint is also understanding uh, entity structures. For those of you who have real estate or who have um, you know other ventures, it's just making sure that that you have your entity structure set up correctly. Whether these are getting your holding companies established the right way, we'll have a lawyer come on who can really um, paint a picture of the best way to build out your plan from a, a legal protection standpoint. I think most people. Most people who are listening to this are probably going to have seen the the pitfalls of of trying to do the day trading. Um, and you know, there's a 95 plus percent failure rate on on day trading, and so that's something that we're you know we're hopefully um, on the other side of. But when you look at just how much money the institutions control, um, I think you know, I was on an article from Seeking Alpha it said that institutions controlled 75 percent of uh, the broadest equity index and 90% of daily trading volume. So that doesn't include real estate, private companies, commodities. So when you look at institutions um, and how much wealth is controlled there, you as an investor, you need to understand um, where and when you may want to partner with institutions and what roles they play inside your investments. And that gets right into the alternative investment space of how do the wealthiest invest? Um, so real estate syndications is one that we'll spend a lot of time on. I'm heavily involved with real estate. I I believe strongly in the characteristics that that provides to a portfolio. And so therefore, um, we're going to spend a lot of time helping you understand real estate, whether this is um, a passive or an active investment, whether this is something that you do, um, that you manage yourself or that you um, join in with someone else's, um, someone else's fund that they've got set up uh, and help you understand the characteristics of real estate versus stock market. Um, there's a lot of tax implications here uh, and benefits, cash flowing benefits, um, 
and typically, you know, real you can expect real estate to outperform a dividend stock, um, but you need to understand the risk behind that and the obviously the pros and cons. We'll spend a lot of time on real estate. Uh, we'll spend a lot of time in hedge funds. Um, hedge funds are some are a tool that the wealthy use to sometimes go after uh, targeted, you know, extreme growth opportunities. But also, a lot of times, it's meant to hedge. It's meant to protect downside. I want to be exposed to stock market, but I don't necessarily want to have all of the downside exposure behind that. We'll understand what market neutral funds are, um, and and also how to how to to review a slide deck or review a presentation and hear what someone says when they're trying to sell you on a hedge fund, um, and and how to how to understand what is actually true behind this. What can they actually promise, and what what is actually too good to be true as as most people understand, you know, if it's said in the financial industry that it's too good to be true, there's a good chance that that it is. So make sure that you understand how to vet a hedge fund to to understand. Uh, just because it's gone up and to the right here every day for the last you know 250 days, doesn't mean that there isn't a cliff right around the corner. So we'll help you understand a little bit more about that. Next space inside the the alternative investment space is going to be venture capital or private equity. Um, these are going to be smaller, earlier stage companies. That you're able to buy in on, uh, not necessarily, but typically, um, and that you're able to buy in on um, exterior to the stock market. These aren't publicly traded. A lot of times, these go through angel investor type groups. Most communities have um, angel investor type groups that will be looking for these these uh, opportunities to find uh, companies to go deploy cash. And you know, all of these things. When you look at a portfolio, we want to talk about what a portfolio construction should look like for. Um, you know, for, for a different set of people and where, you know, how much of your portfolio should be in the, in the venture capital private equity space versus into something like real estate or oil or other commodities that are going to produce a different, a different characteristic in the cash flow standpoint. Um, so we'll talk about that. We'll, we'll get into the whole barbell strategy and help you understand how you can apply that to you as well. Also, these are things that your financial advisor most likely isn't talking about this is not something that is discussed when you go through training to become a financial advisor. Uh, these are often things that are exterior to what the um, typical broker dealers are able to um, that they're able to get paid on. And so unless they unless you're doing it through them, most of your standard financial advisors are not going to talk about this. Uh, honestly, most of them have never even been trained on it in the first place, so this isn't a knock against them if they aren't talking to you about this now. But again, the whole point is you understanding that these assets are out there, understand how to assess them, how to assess the risk, and then decide, uh, are these a good fit for you? Do you like the characteristics that they bring to the table for you? We will get into insurance. Um, when you look at the financial industry and they talk insurance, you're typically talking about life insurance, sometimes disability or long-term care. When you talk about life insurance, it always raises a lot of red flags around whole life versus term. Um, or even, you know, universal life, uh, index universal life, uh, or variable universal life as well. And so we will, we will get into deciding what type of insurance is right for you, how you assess it yourself, how do you, how are they typically sold and maybe manipulated, um, as well as where, where is, where is the time and place that, that a permanent life insurance product is actually the right fit, um, versus, you know, the majority of people who should really just own term insurance to cover their, the actual life insurance need and then go on to uh, to no longer have insurance. So we'll, we'll get into that as well, as well as how to determine death benefit. Most people that I encounter are typically severely underinsured, even though they think they have enough insurance. So uh, we'll, we'll get into that as well on PNC coverage. Um, this is something where 
you know, I would I would recommend that you meet with your your uh, insurance agent to have them assess the the reconstruction cost of your home and or any other property that you have because of inflation and what's happened here to construction costs over the last few years. A lot of people find themselves underinsured. Uh, you know, it's important for you to understand that when an agent is selling you a policy, they're if they think that they're competing on price, then they will look for ways to cut out costs in order to win your business. And what that might mean is you might be severely underinsured in your basement if you're, you know, if you have a nice finished basement, and you might have ten thousand dollars of water and, and sewer backup coverage, uh, and that probably doesn't doesn't you know even touch the restoration company's bill for you. Um, and so, but they for ten dollars more a month, you might be able to, you know, provide a uh, massive increase to your coverage. And so, what we want to do is you want to meet with your agent and say, listen, I'm not trying to shop you on price. I'm trying to get you to give me the very best uh, coverage that you possibly can. You know, same thing with auto. You might, you know, most of my clients are going to have a fairly high auto auto coverage, but I certainly recommend everyone has at least two uh, two fifty five hundred type coverage. Um, also, want to look at umbrella policies and, and what type of coverage do you need there as well. And depending on your net worth and your liquidity, your situation, um, how exposed are you to someone trying to sue you for your assets, and, and what the benefit of an umbrella policy is. Next thing that we'll cover is estate planning. Uh, when you get into estate planning, there's really uh, two different thoughts to consider here. One is is the actual transfer of wealth, and the other one is estate planning. And and these these will overlap into our logical pillar. Um, but what we need to understand is just what is the actual impact on the beneficiaries as we as we do this uh, transition of of handing down wealth and handing down more than wealth, handing down handing down our values, handing down. Uh, principles that that helped you get to the spot that you are, you know, so much um, inside the, you know, inside this this space is typically done by lawyers who are very, you know, good at what they do, but they're, they're tunnel visioned into how do they do this the best with the best legal protection and the best tax benefits, and not as much consideration is given to the beneficiaries and how this is actually going to impact their lives. So what we want to do is we want to give as much attention to the the strategies that give you this you know really great protection and I'm all for those, but also figuring out how do you use these to be an enhancement to the life of a beneficiary because most uh, trust fund beneficiaries actually view their trust as a burden rather than rather than an enhancement. So um, how do you how do you set up the trustee for best success? How do you set up the beneficiary for the best success? We'll we'll get into those, but on the tactical side, we'll we'll get into the you know irrevocable versus revocable. When you're talking irrevocable, that is a gift that has been made that you no longer have access to, or you no longer have control over. You can't, you can't bring those funds back into your own, um, into your own wallet. At this point, you can access them if you made yourself a trustee in terms of giving them away through a, through a donor advised fund or a charitable remainder trust or something like that. Um, and when you make an irrevocable trust or an irrevocable gift, those are things that trigger the tax benefits. But a revocable trust. Um, those don't trigger that because you still have control and the ability to change that afterward. Um, where this becomes really important is the lifetime uh, estate tax exemption, which as we stand today is set for $12.92 million per person. Through 2025, uh, it will continue to grow with inflation, but it's set to um, the, the provisions that are put in place now are set to sunset and at the end of 2025, and that number will likely be cut in half. This is when people start using different things like a spousal lifetime access trust, a generational skipping trust, uh, even an irrevocable life insurance trust. And so what we want to do is help you understand what should a standard high net worth uh, estate plan look like 
And what are the other ways that we can go about uh, making sure that we do a handoff properly to to really enhance the the lives of others? Because we always say like, you shouldn't transfer money unless you've also transferred wisdom. Like you have to prepare the next generation as well. Now on to the one that is my most favorite, and this is giving. So what we're going to do is there's going to be a lot of overlap here into the spiritual pillar. As you understand more of what the Bible has to say about money, you will also likely begin to feel the calling to give more of your assets away. So fair warning, as you take into this podcast, uh, it might inspire you to to live on less of your assets yourself and to try to give more away. That's also, honestly, the uh, the, the best type of return that I could ever probably um, pr- promote for someone as well, is, is understanding that that uh, with God, there's 100% guarantee. And it's also probably 100% guarantee that's not going to go the way that you thought or uh, in in the timing and in the, the direction that, that you had planned. Um, but when he talks about storing up assets um, where moth and rust don't corrupt, that's that's the type of thing that you can have a, a guarantee on that, that you can, you can take God's word to the bank there. So we will get into giving. Um, first, the biggest thing is understanding stewardship. And stewardship is this concept that what you have is not actually yours, that everything that we have um, has been, that everything that we have now is a gift from God, whether that's the actual assets we have or the ability to go and earn those assets. Yes, you may have worked really hard to earn them and and, and put in the, the work and the discipline to, to achieve that type of wealth, um, but it all came through God. And, and, and when you understand that God is the, is the owner of your assets and you as a steward are, have a calling to, to, you know, justly administer those assets, which can absolutely mean the enjoyment of yourself with those. You should absolutely be able to enjoy the wealth that you that you have. Um, but once you understand that, you also feel a little bit more responsible to to do good with for other people with that too. So we'll, we'll spend a lot of time uh, on that realm, especially in the spiritual pillar. But on the tactical side of things, we want to under, help you understand how to give more, more efficiently from a tax-wise. No, you know, we really hardly don't ever want people giving away cash. We ideally like you giving away um, appreciated assets. So using a donor advised fund, uh, if you're one of the people who gets 20, 26 uh, statements at the end of every year from all the different charities that you've given investments to, a uh, donor advised fund is a beautiful way to help you um, make a gift one time and not have to um, get all of those other statements. All your CPA needs at that point is just the the gift that you made to your fund at that point. You can control uh, how the money is invested, when it goes out, to who it goes out. There's, there's so much beauty inside the uh, the ability of a donor advised fund now. And most most broker dealers have, have those set up at this point here. It also allows you to give anonymously as well. Um, charitable remainder trust, this is something that, that uh, has grown in popularity, especially um, people using these to sell their businesses. Um, and so we can get into the the very specifics of, of how to use a charitable remainder trust, when to use that, what the what the pros and cons inside that are. Um, a foundation, how and when to start a foundation. Um, this is an important one as families have a you know continue to see their their net worth grow. They are looking for ways to engage the next generation in in philanthropy, and they're also looking for ways to manage the assets well. Um, perhaps even provide a paid role for future generations um, to do work inside the foundation. One of the big things in the stewardship concept is responsibility of of the funds. And so 
if you're just giving funds to a charity who is not using them wisely, then you as a steward, you know, I would say that you're not doing a good job. And so what we want to do is help you understand how to vet the charities that you're actually giving money to. Charity, there's Charity Navigator, it's a big one. And there are others out there who do a very similar thing to help vet the charities. They review all of their documents, uh, produce a score for them and help you look under the hood to see just how efficient they are with the money that they give. Um, and also I recommend to, to my clients this, this idea of partnering with organizations. So rather than giving one big lump sum one time, I typically, or just setting up an endowment that that the organization knows that they're going to get this money for, you know, the next 30 years or longer. I really encourage my clients to do a three-year partnership where they work with the, you know, the, the charity, you know, someone heading up the charity to identify a project that they have and a financial need that they have for that project, and then set some type of goals and timelines around that that say, over the next three, I'm going to give you this gift and you can budget and plan for this over the next three years that you're going to get this much out of it. And then we're going to we're going to stay on top of checking in on that. And if the if you continue to meet the objectives and you perform well with this, then, you know, I would sure plan on me continuing this, you know, beyond the three years. But anyway, partnering in these three year type roles um, seems to work really well for a lot of my clients there. OK, and on to one that is uh, is one of my favorites closest to my heart is giving. And so we're going to get into the the side of giving right now. That is more of the tactical side. There's also a lot of overlap into the spiritual component of this as well. Uh, but on the excuse me, on the tactical side, um, once you get into this concept of stewardship and understand, not everyone is ready to be a steward. If you, if Jesus isn't the Lord of your life, you're probably not at a spot where you are ready to consider all of your assets to belong to God and not you. But um, so if you hear me saying that, and that isn't quite you yet, just take that and put it off on the side. Put it in the parking lot for right now. Um, understanding that, that that's something that, that you can come back to that at a later time. But for now, um, just just hear me. Don't say no, just, just say not yet. Um, so once we get into this idea of stewardship and we start talking about ways to give, we'll want to look at heavily at the tax advantages behind this. And so there's a way to give tax efficiently. Typically giving cash is not the best way to give. Um, we want to give appreciated assets so you can avoid paying the taxes that you otherwise would have paid. Um, had you, whenever you cashed in those assets, a donor advised fund is a, is a, you know, is an incredible, um, tool to use for the sake of whether it's anonymous giving or, or giving now and planning to actually use those assets at a later point to give, you want to invest the assets now, um, or if you want to just clean up the, the 26 statements that you get at the end of the year from all the different charities that you've given to, and instead give your CPA one statement that you can just go online and print off. You know, as soon as you're ready to do your taxes that say, I gave this much to my donor advised fund, it doesn't matter then um, how much you gave to any specific charity at, at what point where you gave that to them this year or 12 years from now, the tax benefit still happens today. So donor advised fund is a great one. We'll explain that better. Charitable remainder trusts um, and the the way that people use that inside selling businesses as well. Um, those, are, those are some highly advanced strategies that we'll get into. Uh, how and when to start a foundation. Uh, foundations are often used by by the high net worth as they start looking at how do they engage the next generation in philanthropy, um, and as well as how do they um, how do they get a little bit more control over the money that they give and then invest before they actually distribute it out. Um, one of the things that we talk about a lot is partnering with organizations, and so 
we typically recommend to clients instead of creating an endowment for them that they're that the organization is just going to get this money um, for the next 30 years or 100 years is focusing on these three-year partnerships that really help a that help a charity and yourself focus in on one specific goal. Um, there is a project that we're going to work on here, and over the next three years, we're going to whether there's some construction build out or some you know cap- capital expenditure needed. Um, or just, you know, the labor side of this, but we would expect to see these type of measurable results. And if you achieve that being the charity, then we would certainly look again at doing another, um, another contribution. And so using that's really helpful. Uh, charity navigator is a, is a great tool to use to, to look at the, just the efficiency inside a charity. Um, United Way also does a lot in, in terms of vetting charities and trying to help you, um, understand what's the, what's a good one to give to or or how to give without necessarily pouring, you know, tons of hours into this yourself in terms of that responsibility that you have as a steward um, to, to choose where charities, you know, where money should go to charities. Uh, there are organizations out there who who have uh, made that much easier for you to do. And also the timing of giving, whether we're talking about with a charity or if you're handing this down back in the estate planning side of this with your children, the warm hands versus cold hands. Um, do you give while you're dead or while you're alive? Obviously, the uh, the hope is that your children wouldn't necessarily need money when they're sixty five or seventy, uh, but at thirty, that the, any a gift that you gave them while they had you know young children, they were uh, buying homes and taking risks, that would be much more beneficial. Same thing with a charity. You know, if you were to give them money now or sooner compared to just whenever I pass, um, there's also probably an added benefit that can that can be received there. So understanding the warm hands versus cold hands side. Last thing that we'll do is, is talk about succession planning. And so uh, there's a lot of overlap here into the logical pillar um, on when you start looking at the the family business side of things. And so from a family business side, you have to um, understand that, you know, there's a, this these numbers are coming from Keenan Alderson at a Keenan Advisors conference I was at a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, but he's 30% of, of um, businesses pass on to generation two um, 10 to 15 percent survive into generation three and only four percent survive and are successful into generation four so obviously a low chance of six uh, or a low probability of success for businesses that are the family businesses that are trying to stay in the family um, and so just how important the succession plan inside of this is so um, whether family business or not we really need to understand how to value the business there are many ways that you can go about deciding what the value of the business actually is uh, we need to understand how to do succession planning right. And, and really, it's a five-year process. You got to hire the right consultant. You need to select the right successor. You need to prepare the right successor and prepare the organization to to be able to handle the transition when that comes. And that can be for business. That can just, that can just as easily be for a church as well. Um, also important to understand the when it comes to the sale of the business, um, the tax impact. And so just, you know, it's not all about the the sale price, um, capital gains and ordinary income uh, tax are, are certainly, you know, for the most part taxed differently. And therefore, we want to understand what types of what parts of the business go, count as capital gains and what pound parts count as income tax. Um, this whole idea of assets for stock inside the business. And there is a there's a, a push pull there between the buyer and the seller because each of them kind of have competing interests on what they'd like to see. Uh, especially depending on the type of entity they are. A C-Corp is going to be treated different than a pass-through entity. So we're going to get into the new the nuances and weeds behind 
the selling of a business and what you want to look for, um, the financing options. You know, are you getting cash at closing? Are you having a seller's note? Um, is that there's some type of earnout that you have to, um, you know, see that the business continues to succeed in order for you to get a better pay on this? Um, or do you have an equity rollover that that entices you to hopefully see success in the business moving forward? That as they then sell to someone else, you get to um, you know, achieve a, a higher return there on the work that they do. So in closing, I, I hope that was, it's a, it's a lot of information, but I just want to let you know really what we're going to be trying to focus on here as we go um, through this podcast on that tactical side of things. Uh, thank you for tuning in. And next time, episode two, we're going to get into the logical pillar overview. And so this is going to be focused on how do you turn your assets into that life or how do you turn your um, increase into that life enhancing asset? All right. In closing, that's uh, that's a lot of information there. That's really, you know, I just wanted to cover uh, a preview of, of all the type of stuff that we will be covering um, over the episodes here is on the tactical side of things. I know that's a it's a main one that people will be tuning in for. Um, these things are these are strategies that are hard to come by. There's more family office oriented strategies, and if you don't have that type of net worth, they're hard to come by. But we will have the experts come on and share that information openly with you. So tune in next time as we're going to get into the logical pillar, which is going to be that way that you turn your assets or your increase into uh, something that's truly life enhancing and brings glory to our Heavenly Father. So thank you for joining in and uh, hope to see you next time. Thank you again for listening to Wealth Well Done. Be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. And together, we'll continue to improve our relationship with money and our effectiveness in stewarding it well.